Hello again. Welcome back to yet another installment of Cookie Pocket. I'm Christian, joined as always by Zach and Mitchell. Hey, hello. And today we're discussing, well, a lot of things, but we're diverting from our typical format here. We're not talking about a singular film. Um, this is largely inspired by our last episode uh, having a guest, and so we didn't want to do our traditional wrap-up and just have the guest sort of sitting in the corner. Yeah. So We didn't uh, want to Blair Witch Tyler. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is our finale and sort of retrospective on the whole season, uh, our, our season four. And so we're going to try to discuss... Uh, things we learned, things we liked, uh, share some observations we may have uh, meant to share in prior episodes but didn't quite get to, and uh, maybe we'll do a little preview of next season, a uh, preview of what's to come, and uh, a rundown to end all rundowns, and yeah, you know, we could do one last week in review too, why not? We could throw yeah. that in there as well. So um, I guess we can start with... Uh, Things we meant to say but didn't say. Um, I've, I have like a short list of things. This often happens like five minutes after we, we hang up on the call and I'm like, gosh darn it, I, this was like the one thing <laughs> and I didn't say it. Um, do either of you guys wanna, wanna start us off in that respect? Honestly, I'm looking through our episodes and I, uh, I kinda think I'm good. I, most of our episodes <laughs> this season, I, I was pretty pleased with the discussions that we had. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, as with, I go back and listen to some of our season one episodes and I, I can't listen <laughs> because they're yeah. very choppy. They're very clunky. They're very question, pause, answer, pause, pause. <laughs> um, and I think we've gotten a lot better at the free, free flowing conversation and just bringing up things that we think, um, where we feel we can insert them in, uh, final thoughts actually kind of means something now it means just anything you didn't get a chance to mention um and so i don't really think there's anything that's been nagging at me as uh something i never got a chance to mention this season which uh which is nice Uh, i don't have any any conversational hanging chads that i can recall (laughs) from uh from the films we talked about this season fair enough reaching so far back in my (laughs) psyche ah the other challenge is we recorded so many of these ahead of time that I can't yeah. really yeah. list. Like, if I looked at the YouTube or something, there's like four or five episodes that haven't come out yet. But uh, well, I could have another episode on Alpenheimer if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I infinitely could talk about that. But um, man, huh? Oh well. Oh, oh, go ahead, Zach. Go ahead. I was going to say Big something idea. that occurred to me that I didn't get a chance to mention on Oppenheimer. So there was something brewing at the wow, back of my okay. head. I was uh, I was fine not mentioning it, but it, it seems fine to bring it up. I do really like the color grading in Oppenheimer. Um, mm-hmm. This is, um, which kind of ties into the look of the film and the cinematography, which I talked about it as being kind of mostly presentational it is epic but it's mostly there to just kind of create scenes in which the actors and the script can do their work i do think there are they they do a good job not just between color and black and white but they do a good job in the color grades of the various times and settings of differentiating them as well which i think is another reason that i never really got lost in the plot of oppenheimer because the different eras 
uh, look so unique to themselves in the way that they look. Uh, in, in some ways, it reminded me of um, what Scorsese does with his color palette in a movie like The Aviator or in Hugo, where The Aviator, I think, is a great example of... Uh, that's a film about Howard Hughes, and throughout his, his life, Howard Hughes, uh, there, there were big advancements in color cinematography during his life. So at the very beginning of, of The Aviator, the film is shot um, and color graded to look like a color film from that era, where at that time, film could only really shoot red and blue, so anything green was kind of just blue. There's a scene at the beginning of The Aviator on a golf course where it just looks like they're standing in the ocean. <laughs> um, but then as the film goes on, the color advances until we're looking at kind of a very realistically colored scene. And similarly, Oppenheimer doesn't do anything quite as specific, but there is a strict limitation in certain settings to this is a place that mainly the skin tones kind of look this kind of burnt brown color. and. The, uh, the natural colors are limited to kind of this cool blue and this green. And so it's very specific about its production design, color grade, and color palette in a way that I thought was really intelligent. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. Especially coming from a Nolan film, when you don't really expect something like that. Um, oh, yeah, no. And, and every time I see The Dark Knight, or any of The Dark Knight trilogy really... Um, I guess it works okay, like for portraying Gotham, but I guess seeing, especially coming out of watching uh, the Batman, is like you can see how radically uh, you can contrast those like dark noir, like police procedural scenes with like the reds and the the, the purples and greens and stuff like that of like the villains and. Uh, I don't know, I guess there's blues mixed in there. Too. I don't remember. I haven't, I haven't. <laughs> but it's not like Nolan where everything's freaking grayscale. And yeah. like, I guess with Dunkirk was a slight step up, but now I bet if I watch Dunkirk compared to Oppenheimer now, it definitely seems like it's a style that he was very much preferring to hold on to. Even we have like a beach full of like dark browns and light browns uh, and like, you have like the gray to white ships and, and stuff and like the browns with the the spit fires and everything. Uh, and then like some of the oranges with the fires and, and like tracer rounds and everything. I just still feel like it's still a gray scale Nolan movie somehow. And and Tenet suffers the same issues too. Uh, it's just interesting to me that he has he, he almost chooses places that are that appeal to that color grading which is interesting like literally he doesn't just like he could choose to make the place less grayscale but he doesn't and that's what's so interesting to me and that's that's why i think at least from a color standpoint the, the batman stands out like way more um compared to the dark knight trilogy in that regard anyway yeah i uh often get in the habit of when when we're discussing something that i really enjoyed uh i i i I gush and I uh, lose my train of thought and I uh, forget the, the few uh, criticisms I do have uh, for, for a film. Um, and I like that, that now uh, I, I spend most of my time appreciating rather than picking something apart. But um, there was something in Taxi Driver, um, especially looking back on that episode, a fine episode, but also, you know, four film bros um, gushing about how much they love Taxi Driver. Maybe we could have tried to be more critical. 
Um, <laughs> my one issue with Taxi Driver is the late for the sky needle drop, um, the the Jackson Brown song that's included um, when he's um, like staring at his television, and it goes on for a pretty long time, and just tonally, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. It kind of takes me out of it, out of the movie. I really like Jackson Brown. I've seen him live. Uh, big fan of his music. I just don't think it makes any sense where it is in that film. So um, maybe Taxi Driver is not the totally perfect, unassailable thing we, we said it was. But um, is that still five? Kicks the TV over, or is that a separate scene? I honestly don't remember. I remember him okay. like sitting and and staring at the TV, and I don't okay. know what happens next. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I think that Taxi Driver is definitely an example of like quintessential uh, momentum via anticipation because mm-hmm. like with Joker I, I, I mean I was anticipating what was going to happen next but it's because I was watching Joaquin Phoenix's Joker so I guess we could kind of mention that we didn't talk too much about besides just dogging on Joker <laughs> basically yes, to yeah. talk about the massive comparison there uh, and I know I mentioned like the Joker being obviously an existing comic book character and there is a frame of reference to go on beyond just Taxi Driver and I would have to watch I would have to watch Joker again to get the full like whether or not the, the full opinion of whether or not it was like a total ripoff or it was trying to be its own thing and just you know uh, take inspiration from it and especially coming from like watching films inspired or directly involved with Damien Chazelle and like <laughs> like Christian Christian really knows like what inspiration is versus things being ripped off like the fine lines like we could get so many references in and so many like things that are very obviously from other things without copying the full film and I think that like especially with like Barbie and, and La La Land and stuff like that it's it's a similar similar tune and I feel like I feel like Joker's probably still on that. I, I'm still gonna give Joker credit. I will die on this hill, um, even though so much of like the style and the, the general narrative and the character development is very, very similar. I'll agree with you there. Um, I, I think maybe like borrowing slash stealing things is one of the few categories in which I'm. A little more generous than than Zach, maybe. Um, I, I know <laughs> th- Zach didn't write this in his Joker review, but there is a very popular Joker review on Letterbox that Zach liked. That's very derisive, and it says um, it's something along the line. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something like, well, "If if the only thing you've ever stood in is a puddle, of course you're going to think a puddle is deep." Yes. But um, I, I don't think that's fair. I think the Joker is is a very solid i haven't seen it in maybe three or four years now and i'm sure my experience then was colored by the fact that i hadn't seen taxi driver or king of comedy but um, i have seen both of those now and i remember joker fairly well and i still think it's full of strong performances and a mostly original screenplay um i think the dialogue is original i don't think arthur fleck is a carbon copy of robert de niro um in, in either of the other films and yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that Joker is quite comparable to another film we discussed this season, uh, uh, Fight Club, where I think mm. it's totally fine. 
but at least to me it's very like uh all right i don't want to get too mean um (laughs) when when red letter media covered it uh they just they they joked that it was baby's first taxi driver and i i do think (laughs) maybe not first taxi driver but it does feel very much like baby's first social drama where it, it, it feels so and maybe that's also just the response that it's that it got um at the end of the day we didn't even talk about joker this season so at, at the end of the day it's not like <laughs> sure. it's something we really batted around all that much but it feels so simplistic and undemanding really and i, I think it's interesting to ha- take your comic book movie and draw inspiration from these really serious respected sources that are not the source material i do think that's that's a fine thing to do and i and i credit todd phillips for doing that but i don't really think that that makes it like this grand uh social epic about our time like i i I do think it's a movie that kind of got spun up and made into something a lot more significant than it really was um, and I, I certainly don't think that it speaks to an individual voice in the way that something like Taxi Driver does. Where Taxi Driver, I think, is the the product of... I mean, it, it was a film that got studio funding and was distributed by a studio, but the actual kind of content behind it and the vision behind it is very much that of individual artists with something to say. Whereas I think Joker is very much a movie taking... Uh, a corporate character that's owned by a big company and using things that have previously been said by other people to make it kind of look new to present to a new audience which despite it being a fine movie that angle is always going to be one that I don't admire nearly as much as that of individual people going wouldn't it be interesting if we made a movie about da 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 put that way that makes a lot more sense to me Zach I appreciate your modesty Zach (laughs) Though I'm still frustrated by Martin Scorsese's, um, I, I understand his argument, and I oh even boy. like have come around to. I'm going to put with on him. the gloves for Marty I know, right now. I, know, <laughs> I, know, I can't believe I'm even opening this Pandora's box. Um, I, I, it's gotten to the point where I pretty much agree with his assessment of the Marvel movies, and I, I think through the Marvelous Cinematour and and whatnot, we've all three of us have given that impression in, in small points uh, o- over the course of the pod, but I still think every time he talks about it he's doing himself a disservice because all of the people that are choosing to consume this like i don't know white bread movie that is that is manufactured on a factory line um tend to still enjoy them to some extent and when they hear the the old guy that they view as pretentious or uh he's like academically verified but he's not making it with an audience in mind when he says they're amusement park rides um we need to give people more choice it's like um it's like confirmation bias it's like um cognitive dissonance where you're reinforcing um somebody's uh i think uh determination not to try the new thing so every time he talks about it i cringe because i i think he's making that sort of stratification worse rather than better I do want to argue in his favor here, though, that the the original thing where the original thing that sparked the whole controversy was like a side mention of Marvel movies in an essay that was mostly about 
like studio filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Like he mentions the Marvel movies in there as an example, um, which I think we can all say they are very much an example of, you know, what is popular is what gets financed. And there isn't really an interest in financing options nowadays by, by major studios. Um, And he's using that as an example, got everybody caught up. And after that, I don't really think he's voluntarily continued to bring it up as much as he's been asked about it recurringly on every single press circuit by people who already know how he feels. But, like, what is he going to say? Shut up? Like, that's not going to help anything. (laughs) Yes. So he he just has to restate, (laughs) look, this is how I feel. And then you get another Twitter headline that gets all the Zoomers up in a kerfuffle. (laughs) I, I, I don't necessarily think... I mean, the original statement is certainly his, but I don't necessarily think the controversy is entirely one of his making. I don't think he's trying to, like, harp on it in the way that tabloids and variety have in in the wake of that statement, which was, like, three or four years ago now. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you guys about superlatives um, and things that surprised you. I don't know. I think in years past, I've, I've asked you to, to pick one of somebody else's films as, as one that maybe wasn't a favorite, but stuck out to you or surprised you uh, in some way or another. We had a bit of a shorter season, at least like compared to season two, where we just went crazy. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember how many we did in season three, but uh, we each hosted six episodes, five episodes? Uh, six this, this season. Six. So, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. A film that surprised you. A film that you enjoyed more than you thought you would. Uh, Megamind. I, I hadn't seen Megamind yes. in a long time. <laughs> yes. And I remembered things that I liked about it, but I expected to come out the other side of Megamind. Um, this has happened a few times when we've covered animated children's films where I'm kind of like, well, I can appreciate this, that, and the other, but I didn't really enjoy it. But I'm giving it like a begrudging three. But and there were things like that about Megamind, but for the most part, I found myself enjoying Megamind and laughing at Megamind a lot more than I expected to. Um, I think I gave it a three, um, which is like a solid good for me, but it was not a, a begrudging three. It was definitely a three that I felt the film deserved, and I did enjoy it despite the occasional eye-rolling moment and the uh, soundtrack that exclusively felt like it was just my dad's workout tape but um (laughs) overall a fun film that i didn't necessarily expect to enjoy as much as i did i i will say barbie and true stories nice are two ones i was surprised by because we know this is season four so i already kind of know we're watching best years of our lives i'm gonna rate it high right (laughs) it's gonna it's gonna be high right dune probably not gonna be that high right (laughs) Um, Angel Heart probably going to find things I like about it but I'm not going to go crazy about it right um, man I could I could go on honestly um, <laughs> Dreams I knew I was going to like that yeah so yeah I, I was surprised by Barbie by a, a solid margin um, I like to so I, I listen to a lot of politics both on the right and the left, and I, this is a weird, like, 
side thing, but <laughs> Ben Shapiro had like a forty something minute long <laughs> oh, yeah. episode on Barbie, and I watched the whole thing. Right? Oh, jeez! Um, <laughs> what, what a wasted amount of time! Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, the one time Ben Shapiro had a few good points was for the Rise of Skywalker, and that was about it. Oh, Ever no. since then, okay, look, Barbie is not feminist propaganda. Okay. Okay. This is me saying this, right? <laughs> I'm saying that there's a lot of people that were mad about Barbie for a lot of the things, that, a lot of the things that included like some of the messaging that was propagated just didn't feel as it just kind of felt like a, a left wing like talking point, I guess. And I know every, everything's about politics now, uh, and I just thought that it was an interesting point to make that. It was. It really didn't feel like a movie that was put pushing a very radical message to me, and I felt like just because there's so many different things brought up and so many aspects of feminism brought up, that it didn't feel like it was trying to to take on like this is like the third wave or the fourth wave of feminism. This is like this is what it stands for X Y Z. Because there are films that are like that, and there are definitely like forms of art that do that all the time. Right, um, and and the same thing where it's like the opposite too. You know, there's like constant neoconservative stuff or like very anti-feminist stuff. It's like Andrew Tate levels of cringe, mm-hmm. and then it, you know. So I thought that it wasn't like a perfectly modest. Yeah, this is a neutral look on feminism movie. I won't go as far to say that, but I will say that there was nothing in it that was like radically controversial to the average person that doesn't really care, especially if someone who like leans libertarian and doesn't. Like care about what other people do or, or, or think, then I feel like if you're at all an open-minded person, that it'll be a film you enjoy. So I was I was surprised by how open-minded I was to it, and I was also surprised at how open-minded the movie was to me. So that's why I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and then yeah, for true stories, I felt like it was a. I was I was first of all I like was not thinking I was going to be as into the music. Like I'm not a Talking Heads fan or anything, uh, and I was, I was also surprised at just how funny it was and how how much deadpan comedy there was, mm-hmm. and like how random and not non-specific a lot of the scenes were, but they still felt like they were carrying some sort of message or carrying forward the 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 general themes um, about corporatism and like just the small town vibes and and kind of the films I mentioned uh, with like Raising Arizona like making fun of the South, but also, like, you know, having, like, poking fun at, like, you know, corporate stuff that's, like, invading small towns and everything, like, uh, and just kind of, like, the general way it was filmed, uh, similar to, um, Napoleon Dynamite. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I was just surprised at how random, like, it was kind of an out-of-nowhere film coming from Zach. I was just surprised that, like, you know, it was just, like, a fun enjoyable experience and I, it wasn't like a really big plot or anything that was super serious and I was totally fine with it not having like an overarching plot line. Yeah, I love talking heads so I was like I gotta get this on the show at some point and I think I kind of rediscovered it in like season when we were doing season one or two and so I put it in my season plan and I was only on planning up to season four at that point and now <laughs> I'm up to like season 11 so... <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Season 11? How yeah. old will we be? So we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about like poor things when we're like 43. 
because I'll be that <laughs> far ahead by the time it comes out. Oh no! With oh. every passing year, that becomes like a little bit more likely, and that scares me, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think the film that surprised me the most in terms of how much I enjoyed it was probably Hour of the Wolf. Oh, okay, and I'm not at all like like a big. I'm not like a huge Ingmar fan by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I, uh, the only reason I got uh, scenes from a marriage was because I um, viewed it as this huge influence to marriage story, which we discussed in season two and is a personal favorite. And um, I, I appreciate Ingmar. He's certainly like one of the greatest ever, but he's also like the type of person I really can only take in small doses. I remember, um, our, our high school theater teacher saying this about either Shakespeare or maybe it was like Sophocles right after we finished Antigone. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he, even despite the fact that these people are like the building blocks of theater, um, he's like, uh, yeah, I need a break from, from that guy. <laughs> and it's like, I get it, dude. Um, and, and I often need a break from, from guys like Ingmar. And I had just seen The Seventh Seal um, mm. like for fun. Um, before we had to do Hour of the Wolf. So it was kind of, I thought, unlucky timing. But then I was really surprised by how much I liked Hour of the Wolf. I I think it, um, I I like that it sort of sits in this um, ambiguous space, but is comfortable with not giving concrete answers to these questions. Sometimes it feels like films are overcompensating for that in some respect. Um, to me, like they're being excessively vague or, or um, begging the question, but no, I just really liked it and I thought the performers were awesome. So, yeah, I give that a four, and you guys, I think, only give it a three each, which surprised me. Yeah, but, Hour um, of the Wolf definitely gave me more hope for eventually bringing uh, Good Lynch on the podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, I know I had uh, Dune on, but. Uh, Dune is, is, is hardly even like a, a Lynch movie. He's had his name taken off it at various points. Because David Lynch is very much also in that realm of like everything is a symbol and some of it contradicts itself, but there's no like pointed arrow to like, this is what it means. And you're kind of just left, to, left with those visuals of like, well, what did it mean? Um, and I think that's really fun. And before Hour of the Wolf, I thought you guys would absolutely hate that. So <laughs> we'll see if I if I have some more Lynch on next time. Yeah, I dislike the like a twenty four look up what the ending means when you get home kind of thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I I've gotten to the point where I don't mind ambiguity as much as I used to. Um, want to do a one last week in review, maybe? Sure. Yeah. Who wants to go first? Who wants to jump in? Well, I could talk about. Oh, okay. I, I can talk about uh, a book, um, which again, I think this is the second book I've ever discussed on Weekend Review, um, because usually for Weekend Review, I talk about the thing that I most recently finished experiencing in some way. So whether that be an album I listened to or a movie I watched, whatever I finished as as, as soon like right before the beginning of the episode, that's what I talk about. And that's harder to do with books because they take a longer time to read in full. But I finished a book this morning, um, 
Of course, it's probably not the highest brow book that I could be reading. Uh, but for years, I have been reading uh, Doctor Who, The New Adventures. Um, and this morning, I finished the book Theater of War, which is part of that series. So basically, I've never really discussed Doctor Who in full on the show, but I think by the amount of times I've dropped it and referenced it, people should be aware that I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, it originally ran from 63 to 89, and then they canceled it. There was a movie in 96, and then it came back in 2005 for a second run. Uh, from 89 to 96, uh, Virgin Publishing published a, a series called Doctor Who The New Adventures, which were meant to be a direct continuation of the original show with uh, the Seventh Doctor and his companion Ace. Um, and Theater of War is something like 20 books into the series. They published one every month for several years until 96 uh, when the movie came out. And Theater of War... I enjoyed a lot more than some of the others. Some of them are very, um, very po-faced and kind of awkward, because at the time, Doctor Who was considered kind of an embarrassing, cheap uh, show that had been canceled for a reason, and nobody really cared about it. So when it came to the book series, yes, per Virgin had the publishing rights, but they weren't a very big company, so they kind of just went to fan fiction writers at the time who were working on like fanzines and said, hey, you want to write for a series? You want to write a book? So some of them are really, really bad um, because they have that very adolescent sense of like, I'm going to make my favorite show cool. So there's going to be like sex and guns and drugs. <laughs> um, and it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. But Theater of War, which is written by Justin Richards, who continued to write even officially for the show after uh, it came back, um, is pretty good, and there's a lot of aspects of it that really remind me of specific episodes of the of the revival show. Uh, the basic premise is that there's a planet um, where everybody on the planet has died out, but at, throughout their history, uh, all of their laws and philosophies and sciences were based off of theater and drama. Um, that was sort of the base of their entire culture, which I think is an interesting premise. And the planet has been abandoned, and everywhere there, everyone there is dead, but there's this legendary theater that's, like, buried under the mud on the planet, and there's an archaeological team excavating it, and strange things begin to happen as the Doctor and his companions arrive. And I found it very, very entertaining. Um, I gave it, like, a 9 out of 10, which is the highest rating I think I've given to, to one of the books in this series, and I would definitely recommend it. It, is, it would be hard to track down if you do want to read it, because <laughs> everything in the New Adventures was only published once, so my copy is, like, 30 years old. But it's it's a good book, so if you do find it at, like, a second-hand shop, maybe, maybe you're in Britain, uh, and it'll be <laughs> much more easy for you to stumble across it. Um, I, I would recommend picking it up and, and giving it a read. So that's 9 out of 10 for Theater of War by Justin Richards. Well, nobody said I had to stay in the week for a week in review. Because I can true. do anything I want. I never stay in the week. <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> you hear it here, folks. We're frauds. Well, <laughs> I wanted to do a Bond movie this season. But I did see Skyfall again. Which is like... Eh. It's probably, I, okay, it's my second favorite Daniel Craig, but still one of my favorite Bond movies. And, you know, nothing can touch Casino Royale, obviously, um, especially with how impactful, like, the vulnerable scenes were and, and just putting a lot of modern spins on the old 
like conditions, I guess. And um, I guess that's kind of what Skyfall guns for a lot. Uh, maybe a little bit too much in some cases, where it's it's like being very self-referential with the the old dog new tricks and like money pennies, like you know, cutting it with the raisin and stuff. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's it doesn't feel as revolutionary as Casino Royale. It does feel like a more of an appropriate Bond film ending than No Time to Die, which is really sad to say. And, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Spectre wasn't intended to be the ending either, but, um, man, just going right to the source and having it end there is is such a... It's it's like such an iconic thing, like, to just come out of nowhere, like, in this movie that's clearly going in this one direction where there has to be a turnaround against the villain. Um, and Javier Bardem, obviously, a fantastic job. You know, a country for old metal and that. <laughs> um, and, uh, just have, just bringing the ranch out of nowhere, and just, like, middle of Scotland, boom, has nothing, and then kind of just this, this back and forth towards the end, which, I mean, over time, I guess, it's, it's it wasn't nearly as impactful as it was when I first saw it, obviously, and, um, but it just felt like such an appropriate ending for Bond in general, just because, you know, a lot of, all of his missions were entirely guided by M, and, and having her die was such a, you know, like, it, it was so beautifully written. Um, and then Judy Dench being such an iconic actress, and, and ha- you know, that, all that on top of it. It was just a very nostalgic and romanticized Bond movie. And that's kind of what made it so great. On top of just including Sam Mendes, ensuring to include all of the the major like Bond points, and not going too off script like Spectre and No Time to Die kind of do. Although Spectre kind of leans in on the Doctor Most stuff a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. a little bit more superficial. Uh, so, you know, I just having the new Q obviously was great. Like, there's just so many new things in in, in that that are are replacing old nostalgia especially with having such a disappointing run with quantum of Solace and everything i just felt like skyfall came out at a really good time uh and then you know the, obviously with technology and everything uh as opposed to casino royale time at least from like a you know modern perspective including the new gadgets and everything uh it just felt like a really appropriate time for like the bond series and for daniel craig and everything but that's why I give it a four and a half out of five. I just think it's a it, it really does everything a Bond movie should. I don't think Sam Mendes is like a fantastic director or anything. I mean, whenever he has interviews and he's like citing all of his inspirations, he's just citing like the top twenty directors of all time every time. He's like, oh yeah, the Coen Brothers and, and and the you know the the, the Martin Scorsese and Kubrick and I'm like just just shut up, shut up, shut up. okay. Sure, for a dollar, <laughs> like, name a director. Yeah, really. Um, and we know, like, it, it, it doesn't last either. Like, it was a one-trick pony type of film. Mm. You know, Spectre feels like Skyfall 2 in a lot of ways. Um, I feel like the best scene in Spectre was the, the follow shot in the very beginning. And that's all I have to say uh, about oh, Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's slightly underrated. And just especially with kind of the, the medi- mediocrity of No Time to Die when it comes to the writing and, and Remy Malik and the villain, I just felt like... Yeah. It's always going to stand out to me. Hmm. Yeah. Gosh. I like all the Daniel Craig Bond movies, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, even um, Spectre. 
Any movie with with uh, Lea Seydoux is is fine by me. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, and I don't usually stay in the week for week in review. I, I try to stay around the month, but this time I am staying in the week. And I'm not talking about a film. Uh, around the time that we started uh, doing this this whole pod, and and this is exacerbated further by when I got a Letterboxd account. I just really uh, stopped watching television in television in general. Um, and I would say that broadly speaking, I don't like television as much as I like film because uh, at some point I just became aware of the fact that a lot of these shows have an idea for a story that they build a season around and uh, many of them might have like a one season or a two season uh, treatment in mind. They might have an ending uh, in mind, but then they go and make season one and it's a huge hit. And then they order three or four more seasons of this show. And just from a writing standpoint, uh, you're going to stretch things out more than you would if your goal was to write the best story and the best execution of your idea. Um, I've, mostly uh, felt that most severely with season three of the Mandalorian. I think I'm not going to get into that oh. now. Um, oh, God. <laughs> uh, Ahsoka just started streaming, but I'm not even going to discuss that. No, I don't oh. feel like it. Um, oh, wow. wow. It was fine. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Right um, is she on the search bar right now? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about uh, sort of forgotten uh, Hulu original that only got one season. High Fidelity, uh, starring Zoe Kravitz. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm only four episodes in right now, so, you know, I can't speak to all of it. But I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, I think Kravitz is magnetic. I think it's, you know, you're putting anyone in a tough position to, to emulate what John Cusack does in the film. And uh, they're not doing her any favors in that respect because the format is super similar. She does a lot of these... Um, what would seem cheesy on the surface, these uh, monologues delivered straight to the camera or to the audience. But she does a great job with them. She's super charismatic, and um, but she's also got this like curmudgeonly introvert energy about her. And uh, her co-stars are great. Oh, gosh, what's her name? Um, there's, there's this other girl that works in the record shop with her that's basically a stand-in for what Jack Black does in the film, and she's awesome. She's very funny. Um, the music is great. I've I've had come on Eileen on on a loop for like the past two days because it's in episode one or two, and um, gosh, there's one episode where she's playing her playlist and she plays this obscure Prince song from his first album, which is my favorite Prince album, and then the next song is a Wings song, and I'm just like I'm so here, man. God, um, I'm I'm getting a little worried. Uh, episode four was the first time where I felt like the script was being stretched to TV length instead of like movie length. Like the first three right. episodes felt like they could be a movie to me. Um, and I know that it was canceled um, after one season. So I sort of suspect that I don't know how conclusive this season will be. My, my uh, suspicion is that it's not totally conclusive, but um, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, it's, it's a lot fresher than, than, anything else I've, I've given a try of late. Um, and um, Kingsley Ben Adir is in it, and he's really good too. Uh, he was in Barbie. We talked about him this season. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's great. If you like good music, if you like good vibes, it's, uh, yeah, I recommend it. Whew. Wow. Bye-bye, uh, Week in Review. So long. <laughs> I, 
forget the actor's name, uh, but he plays Plop on The Office, and I remember him <laughs> being really good in that as well. Oh um, yes, he is good. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I don't. Which know I was either. surprised by because that was. I mean, he's been in a lot of other indie stuff as well. He was in um, Obvious Child, and he was he playing a very similar character. Um, but yeah, he's he's really good, which you would not know if you'd only seen season nine of The Office. His name is Jake Lacey. Right, okay. And uh, the other person I was mentioning, uh, Divine Joy Randolph. She's like the Jack Black stand-in, and she's great, too. Nice. The Marvelous Cinema Tour. Is it over, Zach? Right. Are you really done? It, it's definitely over. Um, <laughs> unless... I, uh, listen, Disney, Disney. Unless? I, I know you're listening. I know the entire company tunes into the show every Friday. Um, if you make a Howard the Duck movie, I will start watching again. Or or maybe Man-Thing, if you make another Man-Thing movie, because well, there was a Man-Thing movie in 2008 that was... Uh, really bad and i'm not watching dead by daylight or whatever that one halloween special was um <laughs> isn't your favorite director developing a man thing movie right now zach i i don't know um i, I also don't know who you're talking about as my favorite director. i'm talking about another alumnus of this season i'm maybe i'm completely off the mark here but i thought they said james mangold is going to write one. Oh, then i definitely won't watch his man thing movie <laughs> <laughs> All right, if the, if you make a good man thing movie that I actually feel interested in um or any Howard the Duck movie. Okay. Uh, that and one Swamp doesn't have thing. to be Swamp thing. I might be oh. making that up. Yeah, okay, there it is. Swamp. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And uh the uh. Howard the Duck movie doesn't have to be good. If you just make a Howard the Duck movie, I will I will get back <laughs> on board for that. Well, I'll, but I'll until tell you then this, I'm done. Zach. Uh Man Thing is in Werewolf by Night. So, you could watch yes, that. Yes, that's okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Which I I do have access to Disney Plus. I don't think I'm going to watch that though because I didn't really hear things that interested me about it. I'm glad they made it, and I'm glad Michael Giacchino got to direct it. Um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really uh, tickle my fancy. But since the voyage is over, um, I figured that I would just go through my rankings of the MCU films that we covered. Now I'm going to be pretty quick with this because there are 32 movies, so I can't take up all the time in the world. Um, but you can also find this list on my City Miss Productions letterbox as well. It is public. So down at the very bottom of the list, uh, the worst MCU film, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, is Black Widow. Um, I yes. watched yes. some, <laughs> some dogs in the Marvelous Cinema Tour, but this was the only one that got a 1 out of 10. Um, 1 out of 5. Most bad, or 1 out of 5, yeah. Um, this got oh. half a star. <laughs> um, <laughs> if uh, most bad MCU films for me are a two because they're boring. To me, a one is like, wow, this is bad. Like, this is almost surprisingly bad. And Black Widow is that. Black Widow feels like in the... Uh, it feels like in the 90s, there was a an attempt at a Nick Fury show starring david hasselhoff and they made a pilot and it's so bad and it, it black widow feels like that it feels like the kind of thing 90s marvel would have made with no money in one camera um <laughs> next up on the list we have the eternals um on some level i respect what it's going for and i'm glad that chloe Zhao got the opportunity to make something with a very big budget and had a decent amount of control over it but it's just so boring and it's so long and 
when are they going to mention the, the giant stone man <laughs> sticking out of the earth? I'm never going to know because I'm never coming back to these movies. After that, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Eh. Um, some fine designs. I'd love to see the concept art book, but it doesn't really come to anything in a movie. Uh, surprisingly low compared to a lot of the other ones that are on here, but um, still in fourth place is Age of Ultron. Um, this is wow. the first movie in the MCU for me where I started to see that the Emperor had no clothes because at the beginning of this rewatch, <laughs> I surprisingly found myself kind of having fun with it, and even the movies I didn't like, I enjoyed rewatching them with a with a new perspective. This is the first one though where I thought, "Ooh, yeah, this is messy," and um, the first the first uh, second of eternity has passed. The first domino has fallen. Um, uh, fifth, we've got Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, there are some clever things in this one, and I do like the fight scenes with the shrinking and uh, enlarging uh, items and Wait, kitchen didn't items. didn't you say Ant-Man and the Wasp before Age of oh, Ultron? Oh, Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp blank, not Quantumania. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so this is, uh, yeah, this is the, the second one, um, which sticks to kind of the heist angle, which I do think gives it a leg up on Quantumania, because Quantumania basically uh, just chooses to ignore everything that was fun about the first two Ant-Man movies. Um, and that's coming from a guy who didn't particularly like either of them. Uh, after that, we've got Captain Marvel. Um, I, this was a film that was like universally, universally hated when it came out. And I remember it because it was a big deal how much everybody <laughs> hated this movie. Um, I, to begin with, actually quite enjoyed it at the beginning i think if it had been a much more grounded like isolated movie about just uh carol danvers and her space friends going to different foggy planets and encountering rebel peoples and then she recognizes that she's not actually the good guy along the way i think that would have been quite fun and then it had to be like a jokey based on earth 90s we're gonna play green day marvel movie and it <laughs> and it lost me um Another surprisingly low one, I think, uh, based on a lot of other people re people's rankings. Uh, Thor comes up next. Um, I never liked Thor all that much, uh, and I was pretty bored by it on this rewatch. It does look quite nice, um, except for the fact that, no joke, every other shot is a canted angle to the point of absurdity. Um, it's so distracting, and it's also such a strange decision from a director like Kenneth Branagh, uh, who has won Academy Awards and should know not to just tilt the camera over every other shot. Um, one higher than Thor is The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. Um, a pretty bleh, boring movie. Um, <laughs> but I like the Hulk, and I don't actually think Edward Norton is as bad in this as a lot of people remember him being. I think he's okay. And Edward Norton, is a, is, he's a pretty dedicated actor, so he's always going to do something at least mildly intriguing with a role. Uh, Thor The Dark World is next up. Um, more entertaining than the first Thor. Uh, it doesn't look as nice, but it, it is more fun, but it's still pretty boring. Captain America The Winter Soldier, after that. Um, this is one I dislike quite a bit. Um, as listen, long-time listeners will know, I hate the Russo brothers' guts. Um, and this was their, <laughs> their first conquest on the way to uh, taking over the entire look and style of the MCU. Um, except for Community. I, they, 
they directed <laughs> episodes of Community fine, and then they got too big for their britches. Um, after that, we got Doctor Strange. I like Scott Derrickson as, like, a guy. I think he's interesting to hear in interviews, but I think as a director, he's uh, quite boring. And um, I like him, but he's not good. <laughs> for, for, all, for all the discussion that he did of, uh, oh, this is going to be so surreal and Pink Floyd-inspired, it's uh, he falls through a mirror once you would latch on to that (laughs) go sing me another song scott all right after that we've got uh thor love and thunder um we're getting to like (laughs) we're getting to like (laughs) territory right now where i don't really have like a ton to say about the movies they're just not really all that good um i saw this one in the cinema because some friends were going to see it, and I thought, oh, I'll tag along. I was late, um, and at the end of the movie, I regretted spending the money on the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Then we got Black Panther. We're still in two out of five zone here. Um, This, I remember this being the cinema event of the season when it came out, I think summer. Um, I think it's very boring, um, and I, I don't think that T'Challa is an interesting lead because he's too, I- at least in my opinion, he's so level-headed and morally straight ahead about everything that I find him impossible to relate to or feel for or be compelled by. Um, I understand that socially and culturally this movie had an important impact, and I respect that, but it doesn't mean that the movie has to be any good. Um, after that, we got Shang-Chi. Uh, ditto. Um, after that, we've got uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, I was pretty underwhelmed by this one. I didn't expect to like it all that much. Um, and I didn't. But I uh, was also just, uh, by the end of the movie, I felt like not much had actually happened. They spend so much time jumping around like four or five worlds and going, ah, isn't it strange how everything is a cube here? That not much plot actually happens. Um, next up, we've got, oh, first three out of five on, on the ranking. Uh, the original Avengers. Um, I think there's plenty of witty lines in this, and I remember it being a huge deal when it came out in 2012, but watching it, I was very surprised at how small everything feels. It's quite bizarre. It really does feel like a TV movie, Um, And I remember commenting at the time that it felt like a COVID production because a lot of the time there are like three actors on set and it feels weird and awkward. And why even in situations where it feels like there should be more extras here, there's like three or four of them and it looks like they're on Seinfeld or something. It's strange. Um, (laughs) After that, we got Spider-Man Far From Home. I think I've seen this the most of any MCU film. This is the only one you've overrated in the entire list. I, see, this <laughs> is the crazy. one that the MCU fans seem to have picked to like. Oh, it's so bad. I, it's it's fine. It's it's not terrible. There are certainly worse MCU films. I think it's totally fine. Although, last night I watched the Lizzie McGuire movie with my <laughs> girlfriend, and I was shocked to find that Spider-Man: Far From Home is basically just the Lizzie McGuire movie if Lizzie McGuire was Spider-Man. Um, it's strange um, then we have Avengers Endgame uh, quite far down the list I think compared to most people's rankings I think it's a big bloated dumb 
uninteresting movie. Um, it's like the opposite of the original Avengers. <laughs> that that had a had a big impact because of where the MCU was at culturally at the time. But it, it rewatching it, it just feels like like a leaden fan film that doesn't know how to take it take a joke. Um, this has the the same tone that like YouTube Marvel fan films of like 2012 had. Um, because they didn't take the franchise seriously enough. Um, then we've got Captain America: Civil War. Uh, boo, Russos. Um, then we've got uh, Ant Man. It's quick. It's light. It's fun. Would it be better with Edgar Wright? Yes, but it's fine. Um, then we got Spider Man: No Way Home. Uh, a, a very dumb script in places um and if you have only seen this in, a, in the cinema i urge you to watch it at home and it will feel like you're watching the big bang theory without a laugh track because there's so many moments where tommy mcguire just like pauses for three beats so the audience can applaud and it's just an awkward watch uh black panther wakanda forever i like this a lot more than i like the first one um but at this point uh, in the MCU, everything is just in service of the grand plot arc, and it just feels like it's never going to end, and that's exhausting to me instead of fun. Uh, after that, we got Thor Ragnarok. I think it's quite fun. I know everybody has kind of Lin-Manuel Miranda'd uh, Taika Waititi, <laughs> uh, potentially for, with some good reason, um, but I still like his movies quite a bit even if he can be kind of obnoxious as a person um in his social life and in uh interviews uh spider-man homecoming is next up after that we're we're getting into the top 10 here uh the mcu spider-man movies to me are like wonder bread they're totally fine even keel down the middle i don't think they're nearly <laughs> as fun or as interesting as the raimi spider-man films you're including uh, the Raimi films are in the MCU now, Zach. Oh no! Oh mm. uh, well, let's Cancel. let's say the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Um, and I would even <laughs> say I think the Amazing Spider-Man is is uh, at least for me more fun than the Tom Holland ones. Amazing yeah, Spider-Man too. Two is very very bad, but the first one is, is pretty good. I can't to see what wait to see what Mark Webb has next. You haven't seen the second one, Mitchell? No, I'm just saying I'm excited to see what he has to direct next. Oh, jeez. Probably a rom-com. He's directing directing the Snow White live-action remake. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. There has been some theory, because I think before he directed Amazing Spider-Man, he had only directed 500 Days of Summer. So there's been a running gag in some YouTube circles that he was literally just hired because his last name is Webb. Um, <laughs> whether that's true or not I don't know but before he got Amazing Spider-Man he certainly seemed an odd choice for the film um, alright in the number 8 spot we have Iron Man 3 especially after mm. Iron Man 2 I expected to like this one a lot more and I didn't um, I do think it's in concept smarter than people give it credit for and I really like Shane Black as a writer and a director unless he's making his own Predator movie but we don't talk about that one (laughs) Um, but yeah there are bits of the script and I talked about a specific dialogue interaction in that movie that just don't make any sense even if I do like 
the fake Mandarin thing and wish that they had stuck with their guns on that instead of diluting it entirely in Shang-Chi. Um, after that, we got Captain America, the first advent, uh, Avenger. Uh, I actually really liked this movie um, and enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought it was really fun. I didn't really like the third act. I do think it gets a little bogged down in, in kind of the ending. Um, but the first two-thirds of this are, are like a, a fast-paced Indiana Jones type thing, and it does very yeah. much feel like the adventure serials that Captain America was originally modeled off of. Uh, after that, we got the original Iron Man in the number six spot. It's a solid movie. I'm not going to call it great, but it's well put together. We're entering the rankings of, like, these are good movies here. Uh, number five. <laughs> this just now. remains my favorite MCU film, even if, it's, it's, if it is just at number five. I don't think it's the best, but it's still my favorite, and it will remain to be my favorite. Iron Man 2. Um, wow. This is my, that, my Temple of Doom of the MCU, <laughs> um, where it's kind of the black sheep, but I think it's very funny. Um, I think it's really interesting to see uh, how much of it just plays out as character drama instead of action. Um, I think the birthday party beatdown between Rhodey and Tony mm. is mm. maybe still the best fight scene in the MCU, and that I, I watch it going, oh my goodness, is Skrillex going to get hurt? Because I don't think it's <laughs> Skrillex. He has yeah. like a, a well-known DJ there who's like making a cameo. And there's a scene, there's a moment in that where, like, a barbell flies right past his head. <laughs> and in that moment, I'm like, oh, no, because it feels like <laughs> he could get hurt. There's, there's actual damage happening, and you can feel it. You can feel much. the weight. And that hasn't happened in the MCU for ages for me. And that really impressed me. Um, and, okay, in the number four spot, the way that I rank these lists is initially everything goes in a category based on the star ranking. And then... From there, you know, the three out of fives, I all kind of order according to my personal preference, and I do the same with the two out of fives and the one out of fives and so on and so forth. So Avengers Infinity War has to be in the four zone because I gave it a four. And I, I do commend it for kind of organizing everything, all the different plot lines, so well. But uh, I stand by my feelings that in 25 years this is going to be like a cave painting on a wall of <laughs> that that no one can maybe not 25 let's say let's say 100 years this is going to be like a cave painting on a wall that you're like what could this possibly mean what is this purple thing it, it, it has no avengers infinity war relies so much on the movies around it that it is in and of itself not a story it's a moment that relies on a preconceived understanding by an audience going into it and for that reason it's not really a very good movie but it is a commendable technical achievement um, mm. it, it, Avengers Infinity I appreciate Avengers Infinity War not as I do a great movie but as I do a really solid bridge that like you know that bridge stands and that bridge is not going to collapse when the 500 ton truck drives over it um it's it's stable but it, it that doesn't really mean it's good or it's gonna have staying power um and then top three guardians one two and three um i may go back and forth on where these are put because i think i uh, the original guardians i think i find the funniest the second i think i find the most visually uh 
interesting and the most visually fun, and the third one I think is the best movie. Um, even though the third one might be the one I enjoy the least personally, even though there are some things in it that I admire James Gunn for taking a chance on. But I think outside of maybe the first two Iron Man movies and Captain America and maybe Thor, I think the Guardians movies are the only films in the MCU that you consist- can consistently call actual vision-driven projects and not corporate entities. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, <laughs> they're going right to the to the top of the list. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, where they're going to stay unless you let Rob Zombie make his Howard the Duck movie, you <laughs> cowards. Rob. Don't ask for Rob. House of a Thousand Howard the Ducks. Rob Zombie is the only major director I know of who actually wants to make Howard the Duck. And for that reason, we're going <laughs> to give it to him. You could spin it to John Carpenter somehow. Yeah. John Carpenter would would not direct Howard the Duck. I believe it. He, or if he spin did, it. he would uh, he would direct it over Zoom from his couch, <laughs> which he did for a show recently. I'm kind of dreading that show coming out because I know it's going to be terrible. Aw. Oh, John. He had his time. Um, <laughs> now he just wants to go to sleep, goddammit. Yes. Fall asleep on the low notes of the synthesizer. <laughs> oh, we're running down. Oh, oh. <laughs> he's doing the thing. Yeah. For those down. of us that that aren't in this call, which is our whole audience, I've started pumping my arms to indicate that I'm running, meaning that it is time for the ultimate season finale rundown. Mm-hmm. He's running from the existential crises, the corporate America, the Barbie car, the nuclear explosion, the, the Blackhawk helicopters, the freaking Wardalac. The freaking <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming after him now. This is the end game now. And he has, we have a special edition because Zach and I went zooey mama when we saw the freaking rundown list because it's a big boy. Um, yeah. I will, I will have to say that Angel Heart may have contributed to this a lot. But, um, <laughs> okay. Other than that, That's because I had the worst uh, connection when we recorded Angel Heart. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Probably. So, two minutes. Christian has two minutes. Oh my minutes god, two minutes? so much to run away from. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Two minutes to, in case you have, you've been living under a freaking rock the past hundred episodes. God. Okay. Um, yeah. Terms, Christian, rating. That's it. Words. Okay, who's gonna exactly. start this one, Mitchell? Um, I will start. You can start the timer. Okay, in three, two, one, start. There is no Queen of England. Four out of five. Stuff in Latin and Greek. Three out of five. Background chance while running in slow mo. Three out of five. Colorful lighting. Four out of five. Hi, Karen Allen. Four out of five. I will kill him. <laughs> Four out of five. Biting the heads off rats. Two out of five. Albert Einstein. Four out of five. Milk stocks. Three out of five. Nightmare orgy. Two out of five. Gynecology. Th- three out of five. Chalkboard animations. Four out of five. City of Dreams. Four out of five. JFK joining the Avengers. <laughs> five out of five. A worthless hunk of gears. Three out of five. The Water of Life. Four out of five. DreamWorks Dance Finale. Three out of five. Slenderman Adrian Brody. <laughs> Four out of five. A neon sign right in your window. Two out of five. Brooklyn Atheists. Three out of five. 
I got some bad ideas in my head. <laughs> Three out of five. Heart plugs. Three out of five. Petty shoplifting. Two out of five. Rain on Arrakis. Three out of five. Assailed by Ravens. Three out of five. Riding the worm. <laughs> Four out of five. Albert Einstein's hat. Four out of five. Time travel. Three out of five. Suck on this. Two out of five. Brad Pitt faking his death. Three out of five. Last frame. Two out of five. Different types of commies. <laughs> Three out of five. A sandwich. Two out of five. He is the quiz at Cataract. <laughs> Four out of five. Spice production sabotage montage. Three out of five. Hey man, you want a tune? Two out of five. Accordion music. Two out of five. Sunscreen. Three out of five. Mohawk. Two out of five. Jam and sugar on toast. Three out of five. Bye, Karen Allen. Mm, two out of five. Happy endings. Oh. oh, three out of five. Wow, good timing. <laughs> we'll keep that one. That. Wow, yeah, that was really well-timed. <laughs> Perfect. I did not intend to do that. Oof. Nice. Wow. Nice. Um, we still had, like, a chunk left. Do you oh, want to yeah. read your, your favorite remainder on, on that? On the remaining chunk, or are we gonna leave it to no, the no, 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 the no, no? We're leaving it to the ultimate rundown. Mm-hmm. One of us dies. <laughs> okay. I was gonna say season five, but oh okay. my god! <laughs> no, no, because we have to keep the final rundowns for the final final. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. For the ultimate finale, <laughs> I don't know if I yeah, saved all the just ultimate. like just like the Marvel cin- cinematic universe, it will never happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, goodness. Well. This is the point in which we usually preview what the next episode will be. We don't have a, 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 a well, we do have a next episode, but we're not going to tell you what it is. But we might drop some hints now about our next season or our next endeavors. Um, well, I know that um, I'm excited to, let's say, acquire exit uh, in a seasonal manner. <laughs> In the not too distant future, um, yes. Yeah, so we will acquire exit. I didn't know we were doing riddles. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do our our hol- holiday uh, specials, uh, as, right? As, yes, as yes. a standard. We need to. I think Zach years ago, Zach said, I think the people need to know that uh, to spend their holiday with with the cookie pocket or. Some, you had a very funny turn of phrase about the importance of the holiday specials, Zach. Um, yeah, do you guys want to I drop forget that, but... clues about uh, your selections for the future? Yeah, well, I will probably not be hosting a, uh, a, a spooky special this year. So uh, looking forward to season five. Uh, when, I, when I plan these seasons, these future seasons, I have two priorities. Um, there must always be a silent film somewhere in my potential options mm. for the season. And there must always be a return of my favorite genre, no. Italian horror. Stop. Why, um, Zach? Why? So Is it literally season, your favorite genre? I, I love Italian horror. <sighs> um, and I, I love discussing Italian horror, especially <sighs> with people who aren't necessarily familiar with that visual language, because I think it's so interesting to see the perspective of people from the outside looking in on that. And I think they're endlessly fascinating. Uh, so next season, we might see the return of my dear old friend, Dario. Um, <laughs> bless his heart, he's getting kind of old now, but back in the day, he knew how to make a movie. Um, 
we might see the Beatles on the show, though maybe not as you uh, as as you expect them to be on the show. Um, and uh, we might see uh, the, those those old Tolkien epics, but probably not like you're expecting. Um, and you know, there might even be a musical. We'll see. Wow, uh, my interest is is peaked. I am wow. Okay. Mm. What does Mitchell have in store? Well, he had about. 30 seconds to think about it. <laughs> he decided mm, Apple TV is doing something. I think Mitchell is scrolling thing, through his streaming services right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the darkness of the room I'm in. Oh, okay. It's, I'm seeing the thought bubbles. And, uh, <laughs> the main character of that is also in another film that Christian hates. So we'll do that one. Interesting. Uh, oh, okay. So you, you can figure that out. Figure that out. <laughs> I hope everyone was um, taking notes might take during some that. Time, but... I did mention the film that he's also a main character in, and it's a he mm. in this in this episode. We mentioned. Okay. Um, hmm. Those are like the two things. We're gonna have some old oldies in there. You know, there's always plenty to pick out of the bargain bin. <laughs> um, and uh, so someday. There'll be a final countdown too, and Zach will be very happy when they the really second show countdown. <laughs> what happens at Pearl Harbor? <laughs> yes. Mm, okay. No. Um. I don't know. We're gonna have another World War Two movie at some point. Oh and, yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I think that's about it. Okay. Right. We're on. gonna have a fun, funny animation goober thing that Zach will like more than he thought he would, <laughs> and Christian will like it as much as I thought he would, <laughs> and. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do a musical <laughs> okay. or a rom com. Maybe I will do a rom com. I'll think about it. I'll think about that. Well, I will say if we do the musical that I have selected, uh, it might not be either as a rom or as calm as uh, one they expect based on that genre. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, uh, this past season I did something different. Um, with the exception of just I think one film in season one, almost or something that we reviewed as it came out in the theater. Uh, everything I, I had chosen for the first three seasons was a personal favorite or something I had already seen that was in some way significant to me or, or to us that I thought was worth discussing. Uh, this season, with the exception of On the Count of Three, every film I chose was one I, I had not seen uh, prior to, to watching for the sake of reviewing here. And I think that format served me well. It forced me to be a little bit more creative in my choices and it made my takes a little bit fresher and less um, based around preconceived notions, I think. So with that in mind, uh, I'm going to follow a similar pattern here, though, again, I'm not going to totally exclude favorites. Um, I'm going to throw in a Peter Weir film that mm. um, Andrew Stanton described as a major influence to him when making Wally, uh, which we discussed a long time ago. Uh, I'm going to do... I, you know, I honestly don't know what's going to come out next summer. I don't know if anything's going to come out next summer if, if nothing happens with this strike, um, the writers and actors strike. But if there's anything, I, I'm fond of, of reviewing stuff as it comes out. So I will try, if at all possible, to review a film as it comes out in the theater. Um, so we'll try to do one of those. Um, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Maybe. I, I'd be up for it. Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to make the rest of them things I haven't already seen. 
And you know what? I uh, I might beat Zach to uh, discussing over Werner Herzog on this podcast because damn it, Zach, you're taking too long, and and um, my disappointment is immeasurable, and my day is ruined. So fine, I'll do it myself. I'm putting on the gauntlet, <laughs> and it's all your fault. I would like to defend myself here and say, for for every episode since season season two was thirty episodes long, which was probably an unhealthy standard to set for ourselves. <laughs> but since season two. All of my planned seasons have had 10 films in them. And this season, I sent my 10 to my potential guests, all six of them. And on there was a, uh, a Werner Herzog film, because I wanted to talk about uh, The Wrath of God, but nobody picked it. So it didn't end up in the season. Um, but it's, it's, in my, it's on the back burner. It's on my potential films list if we ever do get around to it. So we'll see. Hmm. All right. Well, if you don't, I will, Zach. So, so there. <laughs> we'll drop the bomb first. Yes. Well, gosh. Okay. I guess on that note, this has been yet another season of Cookie Pocket. Oof, a long wrap up. Thanks, guys. Good times. Alrighty. We'll see you sometime soon. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Some spooky era. Bitty bitty bitty. That's all, folks. <laughs>